And our study this morning is in Psalm 40. So if you would take your Bible and turn there. Psalm 40. And we are going to study a subject that has been discussed and debated in the church, the American church, so much that it's actually created controversy and that it has created division, uh, not only within the American church and the whole conversation in the American church, but also in individual churches. And if that wasn't enough of, a, of an issue, that, that this has caused controversy and division, um, this subject is both the source of great discomfort and, and insecurity for many believers, but ironically, it has also become the place where believers are at the greatest risk of drawing attention to themselves. So on one hand, most people are insecure about it, and on the other hand, there is a tendency to draw attention to yourself through it. Now, if you haven't figured out what the subject is, the subject is worship. Worship. And we're going to try to talk about that this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit really speaks to us and that I'm uh, way out of the way today. But last week, you remember that we started a series called Vertical. And the intent of the series uh, is to give us a clear picture of what it will look like when we love the Lord with all our heart. How does that play out? How does that visibly manifest itself Uh, in our lives if we love the Lord with all our heart. And you may remember that I kind of set out a very intentional goal that we ask the Holy Spirit to make us uncomfortable. That we ask the Holy Spirit to, to challenge us and provoke us to be very honest with ourselves and to be open uh, about uh, maybe having some of our traditions and biases and preferences changed and altered a little bit so, so that even if we're uncomfortable with that, that God will work in us a new work and teach us in a different way what we should be doing as believers to, to bring uh, glory to Him. Now, uh, we, we really are going to face that this morning, and I pray that the Lord gives us a great sensitivity today because God is so awesome, and He is so worthy of our praise, right? God, God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration, and He deserves that He have everything of us. Not just part of us, not just we give him a little bit of time during the week, not we half-heartedly kind of serve him. He's worthy that we have uh, given everything to him. So we're going to have to break out of kind of our self-focus and and lukewarmness and and indifference and any passivity uh, that we have in our lives this morning. Because as we saw a couple weeks ago, we're called to live as disciples. And disciples give themselves completely to the master. Disciples give their whole lives to the Lord. So we're going to have to, this morning, um, renounce living for ourselves and renounce living for the world. That's that's living horizontally. When we live for ourselves, we live for the world. That's that's horizontal living. We're going to have to live in a way that brings complete honor to Him and complete sacrifice of ourselves because we love Him. That's living vertically. And you remember last week, maybe you weren't here, maybe you didn't listen, but We define living vertically by three characteristics, and I just want to say them again in case you didn't get them or you need to be reminded. But but vertical living means that everything we say, think, and do is to love and glorify God. That that every thought, every action, every word brings uh, glory to God because we love Him. Second characteristic is that vertical living means heaven's values and heaven's priorities 
replace our own. It's not alongside, it's not, well, I'll give God this and give God this time and love God here, but I won't over here. It's a replacement. So our values and our priorities are replaced by heaven's values and priorities. And then the third characteristic is that we're determined to persuade people to trust Christ. And we're going to see some of that this morning in our study. Now, last week, we, we established the foundation for vertical living because no building is built without a strong foundation. So in order to live vertically, in order to have a life that brings glory and praise to God, we saw that the first um, foundation of that, that, that everything that underlies that is the need to build altars and rebuild what is broken. And we talked about, um, from the Old Testament, uh, we talked about Elijah, how he rebuilt altars, how everywhere Abraham went, he built altars. So if you didn't hear that message, you weren't part of that study last week, I encourage you to go online this week, listen to last week's study, because it lays the groundwork for everything else that we're doing over the next six or seven weeks. So building altars and rebuilding what is broken, what does that mean? It means recognizing the greatness of God, and it means sacrificing ourselves to him. Now this morning, after we've built those altars, we're going to see the first outgrowth of that. What happens when we have recognized the greatness of God and we've sacrificed ourselves to him? And the first natural outgrowth of that is unrestrained worship. Unrestrained worship. Now let's look at the text here, Psalm chapter 40, uh, and we're going to focus especially on verses 9 to 10. Those are kind of our key verses, but I felt like it'd be important to read starting at verse 1 and then down to verse 10 because that develops those two verses, okay? So thank you for turning in your Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, lean over to your neighbor and say, I want to look on your Bible too. Can you share with me? And if you don't have a Bible at all, we have them available for free out the lobby, so feel free to grab one, okay? Psalm 41, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who's made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, are God, my God, are the wonders which you've done, and your thoughts toward us. There's none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice, verse 6, and meal offering you've not desired. My ears you've opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it's written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now verses 9 and 10. I proclaim glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Now, the way David structures this song gives us a better understanding of what motivates true vertical worship, and he just described that in verses 9 and 10. What he described there is not forced, it's not contrived uh, in any way. It's only sincere and passionate and from the heart. But before we get to how 
that happens in our lives. Before we get to what uh, that should be every single week as we gather together to worship the Lord, we have to kind of understand what defines that. Now, this is an area, again, where a lot of people are very uncomfortable. And this really is deficient. What, what we saw in verses 9 and 10 and what we'll study in a little bit is, is largely deficient in many believers' lives. And in many ways, it's been misapplied within the context of the church. So we have to understand what drives and motivates vertical worship. What, what drives and motivates true praise and true honor to the Lord and an outpouring from our lips of praise to God. Okay, so that comes in the first eight verses. And we can kind of divide those into two halves uh, to see that there are two major components of worship. There are two major components of worship, two things that have to exist. One determines our attitude and the reason why we praise the Lord, and the other one determines our motivation. So let me just give you an an overview, and then we'll dive into it and develop it. Verses 1 to 5, David talks about the greatness and the mercy of God. And in, in focusing on the greatness and mercy of God, he calls us to live in awe and respect of the Lord. First component of worship is we have to live in awe and respect of the Lord and trust Him fully. And then in verses 6 to 8, David talks about the response that comes from knowing the Lord. In other words, when we, when we understand who the Lord is and we live in awe and respect of Him, the next step out of that and the second component of worship is that we express our love for Him. And we delight in living for him. So you have awe and respect for the Lord that causes us to trust him. And then you have love that's expressed to God and delight in living for him. Now now those two responses, being filled with awe and expressing our love, are absolutely essential for vertical worship to take place. If one of them is missing, if both of them are missing, it, it does not work. So... Anytime we're worshiping the Lord, there has to be a sense of awe and, and, and wonder before the Lord and who He is and a humility before Him and then an outpouring and expression of love. That applies to every single area of worship. It applies to speaking praise, singing praise, playing praise, giving to the Lord, studying His Word, fellowship. Every aspect of worship, living as disciples, it all comes back to awe of the Lord and love for the Lord. And if we're overflowing with those two things, our praise and our worship will be powerful and passionate and constant. It will be unrestrained. But if we lack those, it'll be dull and it'll be lifeless and it'll be restrained. Now, vertical worship, worship that really gives honor and praise to the Lord, is unrestrained. But I I really worked hard and I really prayed hard throughout the week. What's the right word to, to use here to describe what worship should look like? And it's in the text right there. The Lord said, here's the word. It's the word unrestrained. But, but let's be clear at the outset what that means. That doesn't mean crazy. It doesn't mean out of control. It doesn't mean demonstrative for the sake of being noticed. All of those things bring focus to ourselves and worship, true worship, vertical worship, is never about us. 
It is never about us. God says, I'm a jealous God. I don't share praise with other people. And the reason for that is not because God is stingy. It's because nobody else deserves praise. So we have to be very careful to avoid any sense of subtle pride. And subtle pride has a lot of manifestations. Subtle pride can come in about being dogmatic, that there's a certain style of worship that we should do. And our traditions of what I grew up with, and this is right, and this is what I feel comfortable with, and we'll deal with that in a little bit. Or we're going to be edgy because culture demands that we be edgy, and that's the only way we can draw people in. Uh, subtle pride comes in and condemning what other people are doing. Well, well, I don't like what they're doing, and that doesn't make sense, and that's wrong. Listen, the enemy is just thrilled when we make it easy for him. Here's what we need to remember. We are worshiping the Lord. We are only worshiping the Lord. And that worship should be unrestrained. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got some show that's clever and self-promoting where people are impressed by our skills and by our voices or by anything. It's not about manufacturing an environment where, where, where somehow people will be caused to feel more, more comfortable or easier for them to experience God because we've made it look just like everything else. There is nothing like that in the text. There's no evidence of that anywhere. So we walk a really fine line of bringing praise and glory to the Lord who alone is worthy of it while also making sure that we're not being a distraction in any way. So how do we do that? All right? Take some notes this morning. There are two clear instructions that were given. Verses 1 to 5. First of all, vertical worship, as I said earlier, let me reinforce it, vertical worship comes from being awed and humbled by the mercy of God. Vertical worship comes from being awed and humbled by the mercy of God. Now look at the truths that David lists here in chapter 40. And let's just go verse by verse. Verse 1, he says, You inclined to me, and you heard me when I cried for help. Verse 2, You brought me out of the pit of destruction, which may be literal, and we don't know what David means there, but there's no question when you read it in the context that David is talking about deliverance and salvation from sin. Okay, so he's talking about God's mercy to save him. So you inclined me and heard me when I cried for help. You then brought me out of the pit of destruction. Verse 2, the end. You set my feet on a rock and made my footsteps firm. In other words, another allusion to salvation and new life in the Lord. And then verse 5, you have done so many wonders by your grace that I can't even count the thoughts that you have to me. Now review those again. You inclined to me, you heard me when I cried, you brought me out of the pit of destruction, you set my feet upon a rock, you made my footsteps firm, and you've done so many wonders by your grace that I can't even count them all. Just those truths alone, just those three verses should be enough to, to, to put out of us a humble outpouring of praise. Just, just those truths alone. 
God in his mercy heard our cries. God was willing to forgive our sin. God was willing to deliver us and pull us out. His grace in saving us was complete. He secured us for all eternity. And now he continues to help us. And he he provides for us. And he loves us. And he cares for us. And he secures us forever. Just, Just that statement. That's the gospel. Just that statement alone should cause us to praise him like we have no inhibition. But David says, I'm not going to wait until I get to heaven to do that. Because you know what? If you don't like to praise God, you're going to be very bored in heaven. In heaven, we're not going to play golf, and we're not going to walk around with our pets, and we're not going to hang out on hammocks. In heaven, we're going to praise God for eternity. So let's get started now. And that's what David says. Look at verse 3. He says, God's put a new song of praise in me. When I think about what God's done, I can't stop praising him. And David's not just talking about singing. He's talking about a a complete lifestyle of praise because he's so humbled and so grateful to the Lord. And, And it's so powerful. Listen now, this is what's incredible. It's so powerful that he says, when people see me living that way and when people see that I can't stop talking about the Lord and I'm praising him and I'm constantly constantly bringing glory to him when that happens people see it and it causes them to live in fear and to trust the Lord now stop and think about that are people coming to Christ not only because we share the gospel with him and I certainly hope we're doing that but are they also coming to trust the Lord because when they look at us they see a person who is so full of joy and so full of praise and can't stop talking about the Lord that they say, okay, something is weird about you and, and we need to be okay with being weird, okay? Something's weird about you and, and I need to know about it because I see in you something that I don't see in anybody else. And David says it wasn't just one or two people. Look at the word he uses. He says, many see and trust in the Lord. When was the last time, and I'm saying this to myself, when was the last time you and I were so full of praise that we actually influenced somebody spiritually just by that? When we walked around with joy and confidence and contentment, praise the Lord, it's so good. Uh, Do you know how good God is? Do you hear what God did in my life this week? Do you know how God's forgiven me? I just want to talk about him. I want to be so full. And people are going, all right, stop it. And you're like, I can't stop it. It's like I'm out of control because God is so good in my life. Let me tell you about him. When was the last time we influenced somebody spiritually just by that? Where they were stunned by our expressions of praise and gratitude to God and our love and that we weren't ashamed and we were so full of joy. When was the last time? Was it this week? Was it, was it last month? Was it last year? Have we ever done it? Has anybody ever trusted Christ through me? Uh, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Has anybody ever trusted Christ because they see joy pouring out of me? Like, like, seriously, like, I look at Paul Rhodes, and that guy is so unfettered. He's so full of joy. He's so full of praise. I have to know about it. I'm trying to think of anybody in my life that came to Christ just because of that reason. Oh, words. You can give words all the time. But David's talking about something different. And look at what he says here. He says, you pulled me out, verse 2, out of a pit 
We don't know if that was literal. Maybe it was, but we certainly know it was from sin. Think about all the times God protected and helped David with the lion and the bear in the wilderness, when he was criticized by his brothers, when he faced Goliath, when he ran from Saul, when all the nations of the world were opposing him, when Abimelech was trying to hurt him, when Absalom rebelled, when he sinned with Bathsheba, time and time and time and time and time again, God was gracious and sufficient. You say, well, that's fabulous. That's David. Listen, you and I have the exact same examples in our life, and they may not be as dramatic as a nine-foot giant, but how many of us have been helped after a job loss? How many times has God provided for us when we were in a financial crisis? How many times has God comforted us when a family member died or when we were facing a scary disease or we went through a divorce or we were in need and God was there and God was sufficient and God provided and we're sitting here today and that's not an issue anymore because God was faithful. Listen, we don't have to have giants and bears and lions. Those are the giants and bears and lions in our lives. I can look back at specific points in my life and say, that was my Goliath right there. I lost my job. I had no finances. I didn't know what to do. My insurance was done. And you know what? God provided. Or we had a disease and we were dealing with a crisis and financially we were struggling or health-wise we were struggling or we went through a, a divorce of family members, but God was sufficient and God provided and God helped. Have we kept a record of that? Can you look back and say, oh, September of, of, of 95, God provided. Oh, and August of 2012, oh, the Lord was there. I remember it. I've got a record of it. And I'm praising him now because he's been so sufficient. Is that what we walked in thinking about this morning? Or are we preoccupied with the latest difficulty, which in six months won't even exist? David says, look at verse 3. I am committed to praising the Lord passionately and permanently and nothing and no one is going to keep me from declaring how great God is. Now let me get sensitive here. He certainly isn't saying, I'm going to wait until the next Sunday to do that. He's certainly not saying, I'm going to worship God without restraint as long as there's Starbucks being served. I'm going to worship God without restraint as long as there's a killer band and an awesome light show. As long as the pastor doesn't preach past about 26 minutes because that's my attention span. Actually, my attention span's four minutes, but I'll try. David says, listen, creating an experience isn't going to suddenly inspire me and stir my heart. I don't need my heart stirred. It's already stirred. My heart's already full of praise and adoration for God. I don't need to be primed to worship the Lord. My heart and my mouth can't hold back. You can't restrain me. I've got to tell you about Jesus. Is that how we live? Because vertical worship comes out of being awed and humbled by the mercy of God. And because we're so awed and humbled, it leads to the second response. The second response of vertical worship is expressing our love for the Lord. See, true worship, worship that honors God, worship in spirit and in truth, as the Bible says, is about bringing praise to the Lord and declaring our love for the Lord and giving thanks 
to the Lord. That way of worshiping isn't timid and it isn't shy and it isn't insecure. And it most definitely is public because notice what David says. He says, I will not hide. I will not conceal your loving kindness and your truth from the congregation. All throughout this psalm, David's worship is not sitting in a field alone. We know when David was young, he was kind of left alone with the sheep, and he'd be out there, and he'd sing songs, and we kind of have this weird Renaissance artistic picture of him being this youth with this cloth, and, and he's kind of sitting out there with his lyre with some weird look on his face, like, you know, he's, he's got pain in his stomach, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's not the context here. David says, when I come into the congregation, I'm going to praise the Lord. Why? Because the Lord dwells in the middle of the praise of his people. God dwells in the praise of his people. So I ask myself, what type of place did Harbor Rock provide this morning? What did, what did God, when his presence came down to this building this morning, what environment did he find? Did he come and find people that are so blessed and so full of joy that, that they can't hold back, that they're not worried about what others around them are going to think, and they certainly weren't thinking about anything else? Or did he find something else? See, one of the greatest evidences that the Lord's worked in my life and the words Lord has worked in your life is by the way we praise him when we're together. We are an army of the redeemed. And an army of the redeemed should get in one place and exalt the Lord as one. And you say, all right, well, Paul, this is not a big crowd, and I feel a little self-conscious, and you don't have a, a loud band that'll kind of muffle my voice because I don't sing very well. Let me ask you, the last time you were in a situation like that, were you completely free and uninhibited? We, we give reasons, but our worship and, and praise should be unrestrained only because God's grace and our God's kindness and God's blessing overwhelms our every thought. How could we be silent after that? Well, if you're ever around somebody that's just gotten saved, they're not like, oh, I just got saved. It was really good. You know, God changed my life for all eternity. I'm, I'm so full of joy. It's just... I'm so different. It's amazing. When you're around a new believer, somebody's just gotten saved. Oh, I'll tell you what happened. My life was in the dumpster. And, and I was so full of sin. And I was off track. And I was miserable. I, I got to the place where I wanted to kill myself. And you know what? God redeemed me. And I want to tell you about it. And I can't stop talking about it because God's changed my life. I think, I think some of us, and I'm, I'm in this, I've been saved 42 years. I think sometimes we've been saved so long we kind of forget what God's done. One of the greatest delusions of the enemy is that true worship only comes out of a certain style or a certain methodology. And you know what? That's a flat out lie. Vertical worship only comes out of a transformed, grateful heart. Look at what David says. Look how it's completely directed toward the Lord. Nowhere does David said, and Lord help us right now. Nowhere does David say, well, I got a lot out of the service today. Music was okay, and, and the message was a little long, but it was all right. 
You know what that is? That's horizontal language. It doesn't matter whether we're 50,000 people or five other believers. Every time we gather in the presence of the Lord, we should be walking out saying, isn't the Lord awesome? Aren't you amazed at how good God is? Aren't you, aren't you full of praise for his goodness and his mercy? Praise the Lord for his word. Praise the Lord that he answers prayer. Praise the Lord that he loves me. Every time we're together, we should be walking out saying that. Every time we're in individual worship, spending time with the Lord, prayer, study, we should walk out feeling, oh God, you're so wonderful. So what do we do if it's not like that? What, 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 what response do we have? How do we, how do we go forward if our worship isn't like that? How can our worship be full of joy and unrestrained before the Lord? Now, this is where it's going to get a little challenging. This is where that prayer, Lord, make me uncomfortable, that's where this applies. Okay? You look scared. <laughs> but this is to encourage us, okay? Because we need to ask five quick questions. And we need to ask of the Lord, Lord, I need you to honestly assess me. I need you to look into me and find out where I am with you. And we need to, if, if we're going to receive this word from the Lord, if we're really going to move forward in vertical worship, then we need the Lord to convict us and to change us. Now, if you're sitting there going, I'm not ready to do that, well, then just write these down and hopefully God will convict you later. But I'm telling you, if we're going to enter into a different realm of praise and honor and glory to the Lord, then we have to ask these five questions and we need the Holy Spirit to bore into us and be very honest with us. Question number one, am I in awe of the Lord? Am I in awe of the Lord? We don't have time to turn, but write down Exodus 40. Because when the people were in the wilderness, after their blatant sin at Sinai, the Lord said, I want you to build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is going to be the meeting place where my presence is going to come down and be among the people. So set up the tabernacle in the middle of the camp, three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west. You do not move, you do not travel, you do not go anywhere until I lift up my presence from the tabernacle. When I'm in the tabernacle, you can't come in. Moses at one point is allowed to go in, and when he walks out, the presence of God is so strong that his face is glowing where they're going, Moses, we can't be around you. You're going to have to cover your face because we can't look at you because you've been in the presence of God. Now let me ask you a question. Is that how we view the Lord? Is that how we view coming into this place to worship the Lord? Because he says, I will be present when you gather, so did we come in ready to meet him and worship him? Isaiah 6 says that there are angels right now flying around the throne of God. And all their job is, their whole task today and for all eternity is just to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's, that's their whole job. How often do we come here casually? We come in late. We come in talking. We schedule other things to do on Sunday because that's our day where we can go do stuff. We would not think twice. Spirit help us here. We would not think twice of being late for a dinner reservation. 
we wouldn't think twice, excuse me, we wouldn't, we wouldn't possibly ever be late to the movie. We might miss the trailers. We're not going to miss the pregame. In fact, we're going to tailgate before the game so we make sure we're in there at the start. We even buy our tickets in advance. Now to go to the movies, you've got to buy your tickets in advance and pick your seats. So I'm not going to go there without having my tickets. I'm going to buy them in advance. And I'm going to dress nicely. If we were going to meet the president this morning, whatever you think of him, if we were going to meet Queen Elizabeth this morning, we would come in and we would prepare and we'd have our hair done and we'd look nice and we'd be ready to go. We came here this morning to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How much spiritual, physical, emotional preparation did we have this morning? You know, the old hymn says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Is that how we feel? That leads into the second one. Am I in love with the Lord? No explanation needed, no no development of that. It's a simple question. Do you love him? And if you love him, how much do you love him? Is he everything to you? I'm asking myself the same questions. I'm not, I'm not standing here as a judge or somebody condemning or, or preaching to you. Please forgive if you think that this morning. I, I, I'm struggling with this too. When you love someone, you don't stop talking about them. You don't want to be away from them. You're proud to be with them. You're amazed that they love you. You just want to be near them and talk about them all the time. And very simply, and this is not strange or, or and it shouldn't be uncomfortable, let me ask the question, do you want to be near the Lord? Do you love him so much that you're just preoccupied with him all the time? And if the answer to that is is in any sense no, we have to ask the third question. Because the third question is almost definitely in play if the question, if the answer to number two is no. If we're not in awe of the Lord and we don't really love the Lord the way that we should, then I guarantee you number three is an issue. Question number three is, is my heart clean before the Lord? Sin will always, always, always hinder worship. There is no exception. It is always true. That's why the Bible says don't come into the church if your heart hasn't confessed sin. Don't you dare come to the altar if you have a grudge against somebody else or if your heart is full of sin because that's a dishonor to the Lord. Why do we say during communion, look, if your heart's not right, let the plate pass? Because that would be a dishonor to the sacrifice of Christ to have sin in our heart and say, no, I'm going to take that. Sin will always hinder worship. So you say, well, what do I do? Well, you spend time confessing. Anybody in this church is welcome to come pray with the prayer band at 840. You want to come and pray? Come and take time to confess and prepare your heart. Every service before the service, this altar is opened. You can come up and you can pray. You say, well, people will see me. I don't care. So they see you. You say, well, I'm not going to do that. All right, well, then sit in your seat and pray and prepare your heart. Come in ready to meet. Come in focused on the Lord. Don't race in at the last minute. I'm always amazed that our congregation triples after 930. Come in and pray. Prepare your heart. Get before the Lord and ask the Spirit, Lord, am I holding on to sin? Am I under bondage? Is there something I won't let go? I've got to confess that to you. I've got to bring that to you. 
Are you, are you refusing, I ask this humbly, are you refusing to separate from sin? Are you refusing to denounce an area of sin? Are you, are you resisting? You will not eliminate its influence. We've got to get before the Lord. We'll talk about prayer in a couple weeks. We've got to get before the Lord, and we've got to say, Lord, I confess that to you. I put that, I get rid of the old. I'm coming to worship the holy God. I'm coming in and I want to be pure before you. And as I worship you this morning, as I sing, as I pray, as I greet people, as I give, as I study, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to bring praise to you. And if that's not being evidenced, it's probably because of number four and number five. Number four is, am I embarrassed to praise the Lord? Am I embarrassed to praise the Lord? I want you to think of all the times this week when you acted goofy. Last night, I was watching the Cubs game, and when Montero hit that grand slam, I was, yes, 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 yes. I was so excited. I saw a lady at a football game yesterday, and she was holding up her little baby and wearing one of those onesies with the, you know, the bear ears. It was so cute. And she was going, boop, 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 boop. I'm like, what grown person does that? And he goes, why do we do that to babies? I'm like, yeah, it's because you've got to entertain them. Oh, boop, 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 boop. When was the last time you acted goofy like that? Or you're singing in your car, hitting the steering wheel, playing drums. I always play air drums in my car. Do, 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 do. Or when was the last time you laughed so hard that you kind of snorted? And you're going, oh, rats. Hope somebody heard that one. In those times, did you stop and say to yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm talking baby talk to my baby. I better tone it down because the person next to me might think I'm weird. Or I better stop playing drums in my car because the guy in the SUV next to me, I might be embarrassed. I'll never see him again, but, but I might be embarrassed that he thinks I'm a little weird. So I'm just going to sit here and stare straight ahead and do nothing. That'll be great. And yet, how often do we approach worship that way? Come in, we're kind of comfortable, we stand, and we stare at the song sheet, and we don't really sing, don't show any emotion, certainly don't raise our hands. You say, well, raising your hands is drawing attention to yourself. No, it's not. The Bible commands you to lift holy hands before the Lord. You're saying, help me, Lord. Oh, Lord, I praise you. You're so good. I'm not saying every person needs to stand there with their arms raised because it's not a show, right? But we need to be freed up. How many of us never write down a single word of what the Spirit's speaking to us? Hey, you say, boy, you're being really, really harsh this morning. I promise you I'm not. Please know my heart this morning. Are we embarrassed? Are we more concerned about what the person next to us is going to think than about what the Lord Thanks. Unrestrained worship is not hindered by people. It's not hindered by circumstances. It's not hindered by fear. It's not hindered by insecurity. It's driven by love. Let me tell you, I, I love the Chicago Blackhawks. I love hockey. And nobody had to teach me how to cheer for hockey. 
I go to a game. I can't go anymore because it's $85 a ticket. But I used to go to games. And you know what I would do? I would wear my Blackhawks jersey, and I would scream during the national anthem with everybody else. And when they score, I'd high-five people, total strangers. I'd high-five them and say, isn't that great? And look at them, and I'd yell at the referees because I love yelling at referees. And, and I would scream, and I'd lose my voice, and I wouldn't care. Who cares? And who knows about it because I like the Blackhawks. Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Wow. I'll pay 15 bucks to go stand in a stadium and cheer a hockey team that has no idea I'm there. But when I come in to worship the Lord who's redeemed me, I'm not going to say a word. Now you say, well, Paul, that's not how I am. It's not how I grew up. So that's question number five. And we're done with this. Am I bound by tradition? Maybe you grew up Catholic or maybe you grew up Lutheran and and your services were kind of uninspired and they were kind of non-responsive. You just kind of sat and and, and just listened. Or maybe you didn't grow up in church. A lot of you might not have grown up in church. Or maybe you did grow up in church, but it was formal. I grew up in a church wearing a suit. I never would have gone to church like this as an adult. I grew up singing hymns. I love hymns. There are great theology and hymns. I grew up in a church that had the seventh largest pipe organ in the world. I grew up in a church that had a sanctuary that was made in many ways uh, with marble all along the front. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous building. Then I went to college, and I went to a multicultural Pentecostal inner-city church in Uptown in Chicago. And that was completely different from the church I grew up in. Never wore a suit, was worshiping with black people and Asian people and and Indian people and people who were raising their hands and speaking in tongues. And and it, it was such a different experience. We were singing praise songs. There were no hymns whatsoever. And I'm kind of standing there going wait a second, I can worship the Lord here and I can worship the Lord at home. Because God is not defined by style and God is not defined by environment. Worship is defined by what comes out of our hearts. And if you grow up in a non-demonstrative church and you're a non-demonstrative person, let me tell you, you're going to have to ask the Lord to help you because the redeemed of the Lord say so. And David says, look at it, verse 9, we're going to pray. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. Lord, you know. I haven't hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You and I aren't going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I didn't praise you openly, and I didn't talk about you to others because it's not how I grew up. And because, Lord, honestly, it just wasn't comfortable to me. You know what Jesus will do if we say that to him? Here are my hands. Here are my feet. Here's my side. You want to tell me you're not comfortable? You want to tell me you're not willing to praise me and to talk about me? And to worship me. 
because of what the person next to you thinks about? Listen, please hear my heart. This is one of the hardest sermons I've ever had to give. I am not trying to be harsh, and I'm not trying to be confrontational, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just trying to say that if we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, it needs to look different. Our praise should be effusive. I was so encouraged this morning when we were singing Holy Spirit Rain Down. You guys were singing and praising the Lord. I'm assuming people had their hands lifted and their eyes closed. and they were li- Listen, that's what our worship should look like. I'm not talking about a show. I'm not saying we come in next week and we're jumping around and barking like they did a couple years ago in Toronto. And, and, and we're, we're making a show. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that when you come in and I come in to worship the Lord, when we come in to give, when we come in to study his word and to pray, it needs to pour out of us. There needs to be praise in the lobby. We need to be talking about the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Isn't God great? Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? Thank you for being here. Oh, God's good. Hey, come back to Bible study this week. Sing in the choir. Come praise the Lord. I don't sing very well. Who cares? Listen, we're going to praise the Lord. You don't think God can regulate the sound of the choir if we're not all singing right, if we're singing with praise? He's got to regulate my voice. I don't know about the rest of you guys in choir, but God's got to regulate my voice. If we're going to live vertically, sorry, I'm done. If we're going to live vertically, we have to ask the Lord Lord, convict me of my hesitations and cleanse me of my sin and free me from my inhibition. And when we do that, I promise, when we do that, our worship will change. We will praise the Lord wholeheartedly and God's presence will be manifest and we will worship and it will be powerful and people that are here that don't know Jesus Christ will go, there is something different And their hearts, according to Psalm 43, will change because of it. Oh, God, make that true. Let's pray.